you would, uh, you can take out your Bible and open it to John chapter 15. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. It's also printed in your bulletin on page 6. We're going to look in here. Uh, last time we were together, uh, we looked at our purpose in life, which is as a church, we're learning a little bit about what that means. Our purpose in, as a church is uh, to be disciples. So uh, last time we talked about how what it means to be a person that's in a church means to follow someone. And that you're all following someone, whether you like it or not. You're all giving something your affection. You're all loving something. And the question is, what is that going to be? As a church, Jesus calls us to love him and to follow him. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at um, an illustration that Jesus gives us in the scriptures about what that's supposed to look like and how we're supposed to live out following him. And that's found in John chapter 14. So if you will, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read the passage. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, we, uh, we all have come here today and um, shown up somewhat disconnected from you. Uh, we, we understand somewhat how our life is just strained and frustrated and hard um, apart from you. And so today I pray that you would just press in on us for a little bit. You're, you would come here and help us to see the, the real importance of what it means to be connected to you. And to live that way every day. So help us, Father. We need your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. Um, it's weird the, the place in life we are in right now where we have to sit apart from each other, right? And we have to wear these things on our faces to keep germs moving back and forth from us. You know, it's, uh, we live in this really strange world of distance, barriers between us, so that we keep out death, right? Because that's what we're all trying to avoid is this sickness killing us, right? And what's strange is as we read this passage about Jesus, his pattern of life is almost the opposite of social distancing. <laughs> there is no spiritual social distancing. That's really what I want to try to tell you today. Um, because in the kingdom, what we see is that Jesus advocates that we draw near to him, not space out, that we remove obstacles between us and him, rather than create them. That we have true life, but that true life doesn't come on our terms. It only comes when we're connected to God. So that's what I want to look at today. 
really briefly with you from John chapter 15. I'm going to look at three things about this passage. One is how disconnection from God leads us to feeling miserable in our lives, and there's good reason for that. How connection with God is really where we draw our life from. And then just a little bit about what it means to embrace the idea of abiding in Jesus. We'll talk about that at the end. So first of all, what does it mean uh, to be disconnected from God? And what does it do to us? Well, we, we see in the passage at the very beginning, he says, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. So he's giving you an illustration. And here's the illustration. There's a vine, probably a grapevine is the best way to think about this. And off of that grapevine come these branches, right? And the branches are drawing, they're growing and drawing their nutrients from the vine that they're connected to. And if they die, it's because they are disconnected from it, right? And so in our lives and what you do when you get up in the morning and you live your life and you do what you do, you go to work, you go to school, you're participating in your marriage, uh, you participate with your parents or with your kids, we, f- we begin to feel when we're disconnected from God a sense of death and deterioration, that we're just not meant to be apart from him. And he mentioned some ways in the passage that that comes out. Uh, one is in verse 3, uh, where he talks about, um, already you were clean because of the word I sp- spoke to you. That word is the gospel, which is that, Uh, In a nutshell, you are more wicked and sinful than you could ever dare imagine. But in him, in Jesus, you're more loved and cared for than you could ever dare hope. That's the word that has been spoken to them. And this word has made us clean as his people. It has made us new, fresh people. Shame, guilt have been washed away from us because of what Jesus has done. And so being unclean, the idea of being unclean makes us feel miserable. Because uncleanness is a life of war with God. Um, It's living life your way apart from God. This means trying to be God yourself or to control your own life, you know, to buckle down, to do things your way, to be the king of your own castle, um, which we ultimately realize we don't even have the ability to do. And living life this way ultimately leads to some combination of pride or frustration in our lives because we realize we can't handle everything. Like we can't handle all that's going on in our lives. And living your way then results in carrying around all these failures. Like I can't do what everybody wants me to do. I can't handle what everyone wants me to handle. And we become angry about that in our lives. Frustrated that we can't manage our own lives and and control our own lives and get what we want. And we distrust people and our lives have become full of pain and shame and frustration. And it just makes us despair. And so this idea of being unclean that Jesus is telling his disciples about is something that we feel rather poignantly in our lives. Um, and, and he even goes so far <clears throat> as to say that like the word of the gospel that has been spoken to you may be the most important word that you've ever heard in your life because it's saying to you that the way you feel, the frustration you feel in your life, the difficulty you feel in the pain, this trapped anger difficulty in your life is not the final word. That there is a way for that to change, a way for you to be clean, to be made right with God. And that way to be made right with God is through Jesus, what he's done for us. Um, I want to read you a, a passage from a book that I read recently. Um, 
about a guy who was talking to a friend of his who was an atheist. And he says this. He says, in high school I had a close friend who described himself as an atheist. And when he told me he didn't believe in God, I could only think of one thing from the Bible. And that was from Psalm 14, which says a fool says in his heart that there is no God. And since this guy was a lot stronger and bigger than me and liked to fight, I kept that verse to myself. I tried talking to him about my faith, but nothing seemed to get through to the guy. Nothing except for this. I described to him as best I could what it meant to be forgiven. There's nothing like coming to God with all the bad things that you've done and asking for him to clean you, I told him. It's like taking a shower after being really dirty for a long time. You feel completely new and totally clean. And my friend was silent when I said that to him. And I said, hey, man, I don't, I don't mean to preach to you. I'm sorry. And he says, that doesn't sound like preaching. That doesn't sound like preaching at all. I think that's a healthy way to think about what Jesus is getting at here when he says the word has already been spoken to you, that you are clean in him. So that's a starting point. But we're miserable when we feel that sense of being dirty. We're also miserable because we can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. Look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. All of them have this term, cannot bear fruit, does not bear fruit. Um, It's mentioned five times in these verses, does not bear fruit. And it seems that what God has intended for you as as his person, as his people, is to bear fruit into the world. Um, And I want to be careful here because uh, this is not fruit like uh, conversions that you have in your life or being a really good person. Um, This is different from that. Um, This is the fruit of the Spirit that we see in another place in the Bible. Uh, Characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In other words, the fruit that comes from Jesus from being connected to this vine into your life is character change. Like it's what's inside of you changing. It's different from the normal way we think about success and achievement because of where it comes from. It starts inside of you, inside of a clean heart and works its way out. It starts inside of you where you really realize that you're loved no matter what, and it works its way out. And when it works its way out, what begins to happen to us is that we become free, like we can admit when we're wrong, uh, that we can admit when we're failures. We can admit our need. Um, It's a byproduct of what's going on inside of us. And so um, Jesus shows us the hard truth in this passage that we simply cannot do this to ourselves, that it's only in him that we can do this, and that inevitably uh, this sort of thing results from his work in us. If we're disconnected from that vine, then we cannot find this change in our life. In other words, we, we need God to change us. Now, listen to me. I'm certain that all of you, to some extent, feel uh, dissatisfied with your life. Some of that may be your circumstances. But I think most of you, if you look down deep inside, like you're, dis- you're discouraged about you, about the way you are. And what makes this really hard for us is that you can't change that. You can't change it. As hard as you want to, you can't change yourself. Only God is the one who can do this. That's why he says in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what does that mean? There are a lot of people who don't know Jesus at all. In fact, who are pushed back and do not like Jesus, who are openly opposed to Jesus, and they do lots of things, right? So this doesn't just mean they can't do anything. What, does it, what is he talking about? Well, uh, what he means here is that they, can do, they can't do things that are truly good. That's hard to believe. But the scriptures teach us that outside of a relationship with God, our nature is self-seeking. So that our best do, deeds are even rotten down to the core. And that uh, we live in a world of folks who are all seeking this sort of same thing to, to be the best. Achievement at the cost of other people. Individual achievement is what we want more than anything else. And so like even our best deeds can be corrupted because we want to do them for ourselves. And so when he says that uh, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. What he really means is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing for God. That we cannot live our lives for him. Um, and uh, at some point in our lives, we begin to see this. We begin to see that um, w- our hearts seek this thing that cannot be given to us apart from him. Now, I know if you're like me, you may be thinking this. Um, I can change myself. Um, I can change and grow without outside help. Um, I often seek self-improvement in my life. Some of you have done this through things like exercise, your diet, your career, meditation, spending time with your family, activities, counseling. You, You think you can change yourself by doing these things. But here's the true test. Is, is that growth making you more or less dependent on God? When you try to accomplish things on your own, are you really becoming more dependent on God and God alone? And this seems to be the emphasis of what Jesus is trying to say here with divine and the branches, is that the, the goal is not to grow apart from him, but to grow in him. Like he must be the focus of our growth. And so the point is this, is that disconnection from God makes us miserable. It makes us agitated. It is a death in a sense. Um, You know, if you think about death in the classic sense of the way the Bible describes it, death is the separation of body and soul, right? Your body dies, your soul is separated from it in this very unnatural way, and that's what death, that's sort of the biblical picture of death. And and, uh, we, in a sense, preempt that by trying to separate our soul from God, right? Right? That's the picture of the vine and the branches is that there's deep misery found when we disconnect from him in that way. And so the opposite is also true, that true connection leads to life. Um, You have the characters in this story. The father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer and the one who plants and prunes and grafts this. He's the overseer of the vineyard, right? And then you have the son who is the vine itself, who is the grapevine. He's the one full of life. And nutrients. He's the one that provides all that we need to grow. And then we are the what? We're the branches. We are the ones that are dependent, the one that need him, the one that produce fruit as long as we can be connected to the vine. And so the lesson is just simply this. Who's the main character of this passage? God. God is the main character. The branches are not the main characters. They are, they are completely and utterly dependent on him. 
He is the one who brings fruit and life. The whole metaphor is to teach that outside of him there is no real life. God is providing our deepest needs within himself. True, deep life is found in him and him alone. So um, this connection leads us to really beginning to have true life. Um, It says uh, in verse 2 here, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, we're designed to grow. You're designed to be someone who matures and grows. And remember, this is not growth like in terms of your body. It's growth in terms of your character. Like you becoming someone who is, uh, has more integrity, who lies less. Uh, someone who um, is more connected and enjoying God in your life. Uh, someone who uh, is, is more respectful and trustworthy in your relationship. You're, you're meant to be growing in terms of your own character. I read a book a while back by a guy named David Brooks. I don't know if you guys know who David Brooks is. He's a, he's a journalist, uh, a pretty conservative journalist. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he regularly speaks on TV and that sort of stuff. But he writes, uh, he wrote a book uh, called uh, The Road to Character, uh, um, how to think about character in a post-character age. And in this book, he says there are two ways that we typically think about virtue or character in our lives. Okay? One of those is what he calls resume virtues and resume virtues are uh, those things that you say about yourself to other people you know the way that you describe yourself when you're accompli- your, your greatest accomplishments you know I have this and I have that I've done this and I've done that but the other way he thinks about character is what he calls eulogy virtues you know what a eulogy is it's what they say about you when you die and he's saying that oftentimes our resume virtues look very different than what we want people to say about us in our last days, right? What do you want people to say about you when you die? I think that's getting at what we really want from divine. Are you with me? This is what we want, Dad. We want people to think that we were kind, that we were people of love, that we could be trusted, that we were people that helped, right? That cared. Uh, we, not how much money we had in the bank or um, how good we looked or how funny we were. <laughs> you know, we want people to think about us having a strong moral compass, a strong inner life, this sort of fruit of character. And this character only comes from being connected to Jesus. Um, uh, God's commitment to us that we see in this passage is that if you don't bear fruit, if you're not part of what, if if you're not connected to him, uh, then those are thrown into the fire and burned. But if you are connected to him, then his commitment to you is to make you grow more and more and more and more. Um, And that's by pruning. You know, when you have a plant and you want it to grow, you have to cut it back in order for it to grow and to bear more fruit in the world. Um, And God does what it what's best to cause us to produce fruit. And this may mean pain. This may mean loss in our lives. This may mean a new job or a new place to live. It may mean a failing in your life. It may mean sticking it out when you're frustrated or discouraged. It may mean forgiving someone that's hurt you really badly. It may mean hitting rock bottom in your life. 
Um, It may mean letting go of things that you love too much. The bottom line is that God prunes us, and that is not a pleasant process often. But it's in his pruning of us that we begin to grow. Listen to what Jesus' brother James said. Um, He says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of kinds. For you know that in the testing of your faith through these trials produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see the progress? That God allows trials to come into your life, that he begins to change you through those hardships and make you grow in him. A long time ago, I don't even know if Sarah Bell remembers this, but she had a rock tumbler. You know what a rock tumbler is? Okay. A rock tumbler is one of these machines that you take <coughs> rocks that you find and you put them in it and you, you spin them over time in this solution. And after you know, a week, you take them out and they're really smooth and pretty. It's what a river does to rocks when it flows over them over time. And there's this thing that's very important about the rock tumbler. There's this sort of sandy liquid stuff that you have to put in with the rocks. It's called grit. And if you don't put it in there, which is what Cerebral and I did, the rocks tumbled together for a week, and you took them out and nothing had really changed. (laughs) But when you put the grit in there, and it begins to sort of sand the sides of the rocks down over time, they begin to change, and they become these really beautiful polished rocks when you take them out. And so there's this sense in which we're sort of all in the tumbler, right? You've got hard things that are banging up against you, You've got difficult things in your life. COVID makes our lives so much difficult, so much more problematic. Uh, we have friends that are sick. Uh, all these sufferings are happening to us and we're banging against each other. And what makes us smooth is the vine. Jesus is that thing that smooths us out over time. He's that, uh, that beautiful thing that begins to make us beautiful through these particular things. And it's really bizarre. Some of you are too young to see this. Some of you are old enough that you've seen it many, many times. But you look back in your life. I can remember as a college minister, I would talk to students about things. And like when I would ask them, hey, when is the time in your life that you feel like you've grown the most as a Christian? It would always be two different times. One would be when they were converted, when they feel like, oh, I get it. Okay. Do you know when the other time was? When they suffered. It's always when they suffered. And it's because they had been tumbled around by the Spirit of God and they were being made whole through pruning in their life. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. It's a fabulous, fun movie. Um, but there's the main character, Andy Dufresne, has this line in the movie where he looks at Red, uh, one of the other prisoners in Shawshank, and he says to them this, he says to them this, we either need to get busy living or get busy dying. And so which of those two terms describes you? Do you feel like you're dying? That you're diminishing? Or do you feel like you're really living, even though your circumstances may be hard? Which is true of you? And I think that's the difference that Jesus is saying between these branches that are not connected to the vine and the ones that are. That when we're connected to Jesus, we can have true life. We can have joy and enjoy our lives even in the hardest of situations that we go through. So how do we embrace this? I'm going to close up quick. How do we embrace this in our lives? Well, abiding in Jesus, which is the word that's used here, 
means to stay connected, to remain, to take responsibility for your relationship with God. A good illustration of this, maybe the best illustration of this, is marriage. Um, You are legally bound in marriage. You're connected to this other person. But you know just as well as I do that if you don't, if you don't have intentional time, intentional love for the other person, there is a disconnect that happens. And that disconnect can be disastrous. Um, this should naturally lead us to think about what it means to connect with God. And this way, after all, marriage, Paul says, is a picture of the relationship between us and Jesus. So let's think about that a little bit. About what does it mean to abide in him? And also, like, <clears throat> is abiding not counter to grace? Um, if salvation is by God's work, God doing in our lives, isn't abiding just another way for us to work and to feel like we have things we have to do as Christians? Buck, aren't you just making Christianity about working harder? Maybe some of your, uh, some of the way some of you are thinking. Well, actually, this idea about abiding is seen throughout the Bible. Um, Romans eight thirteen says this: For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you Live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. If you live by the Spirit, connecting to God. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see that both God is at work in our lives, but we also have responsibility in terms of what we're doing. First, excuse me, Colossians 1, uh, speaking of ministry, uh, Paul says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that God powerfully works within me. So he's toiling with energy uh, to tap into what God is doing in his life already. So the idea is um, there is this intentional dependence that we have as Christians. That we're intentional about our faith, but we realize we're also completely and utterly dependent on God to live and to have life. Um, Our fathers said these things, fathers of the faith, people like John Calvin who says this, Let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us. Listen to that quote. Let us labor more to feel Christ living in us. John Owen says, labor therefore to fill your hearts with the cross of Christ. Jonathan Edwards, we should labor to be continually growing in divine love. Continually laboring to grow in divine love. Dallas Willard, a modern writer about the contemplative life and Spiritual discipline says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. All these things are incredibly important because they're all saying the same thing. Like we have a responsibility as Christians to stay connected. Jesus doesn't just say, I will abide in you. What does he say? He says, you abide in me. It's both. I will abide in you. You abide in me. Abiding is a two-way street. It is an intentional dependence in our life. Um, A good way to describe this may be uh, sailing, okay? I'll give you that as an example. We're in a sailboat, okay? And in order to sail in a sailboat, you have to have some expertise about sailing. Like, the boat needs to be pointed in the right direction, right? (laughs) You have to know how to put the sails up so it can catch the wind. 
uh, you must have some idea about how to harness the wind to get to where you want to go in a sailboat. You have to understand that to some extent. But even if you have all the expertise when it comes to sailing, and the wind doesn't blow, you're not going anywhere. Right? And so that's a good picture of what's happening here. You must have the wind. Or you're helpless to control anything. You can put in massive effort, but without the wind, you'll never sail. And likewise, God's work is what changes us. Without his work, our lives will never grow. We'll never mature. We'll never change without God's work in our life. We're wholly dependent on him. But we also have a responsibility to put ourselves in the best possible position to abide. That's what he means when he calls us to abide in him. And how do we do that? Well, there are lots of ways. They're called the means of grace, is what we call them. Um, God is the one who nurtures us, and our responsibility is to put ourselves in the best possible position to be changed by him. Let me give you this example. If God said to you, if God showed up to you today in a physical form and said this to you, hey, if you will meet me in the library every day for 15 minutes, I will make you more like my son. Would you go? That's the first question. If you met me today, for, if you will meet me every day for 15 minutes in the library, I will make you more like my son. Would you go? Here's the second question. If you went, would, it, would your going be the thing that's making you more like his son? No. He would be making you that way. But if you didn't go, would you become more like his son? Maybe not. You see, we have to put ourselves in the way of grace. And there are places where God has said, if you meet me here, I'll change you. It may be slow. It may not be the way you like. But if you meet me here, I'll change you. One of those is worship. This is a way of getting in the way of God's grace to make a difference in your life. And there are others. There are things called the spiritual disciplines. Some of you may have heard of this before. I'll be glad to talk to you about this afterwards if you'd like to know more. But there are things like talking to God, prayer. If you pray and put yourself in a position to listen to him, he will change you. Taking in his word, reading the scriptures, listening to the scriptures, hearing preachers preach on the scriptures. Those are the sort of things that begin to get into your heart and change you. Things like silence, solitude, fasting, communion, fellowship, service. All of these are ways that God begins to get into our hearts and change us, but we have to put ourselves in the way of it. Um, and we do this oftentimes through the church. Um, the you in this passage is plural, where Jesus talks about abiding. I don't know if you thought about that. He's telling them to abide in him. We did this together. We need each other. <coughs> and that's one of the reasons Christ the King is so important. We are beginning our journey here, and uh, a big part of what we're going to try to accomplish is putting you in positions to abide. The mission of our church is to create a community of disciples that abide in Christ the King. That's what we're trying to do, to put you in a position where you can connect with God in different avenues and with accountability. So we're going to be thinking about that in the days ahead. That's really a part, a centralized part of what we're going to try to do. I'll end with this. Um, there was once an old pastor. Some of you have heard this story before, but I find it so helpful to think about this. There was once an old pastor, and um, one of his congregants had stopped coming to church, had stopped being involved, and he went to visit him. 
And we went to visit this guy. Uh, he went in, and the guy was kind of sheepish because he didn't really want to talk about this with the pastor because he knew his heart just was far away from God. The pastor pressed in on him a little bit and said, you know, what's going on? I've noticed that you haven't been around. You know, what, what do you, and he's like, you know, to be honest with you, I just don't feel like I connect with God anymore. Um, I don't ever read the scriptures. I don't pray. I don't really want to go to church anymore. And I just feel like this isn't something I want to do anymore. And the old pastor was in his house and he had a fire going in the fireplace. And he, he just silently walked over to the fire and reached in with a pair of tongs and pulled out a really big red coal out of the fire. And he pulled it and he went over to the stone hearth next to the man and dropped it on the ground. Didn't say a word. And slowly, the coal started to change color. It went from being a bright orange to sort of a lighter orange to a yellow to a white. And then went out. And the pastor looked at this guy and he said, that fire is Jesus. And this is you. And what you've done is you've taken yourself away from the fire. And you've gone out. And the guy just kind of hung his head, you know. And the, pa- and the pastor reached down with the coal again and grabbed it with the tongs and flung it back in the fire. And watched it. And within just a few minutes, it started glowing again. It started turning around again. And he said, but there's hope for you. And the hope is that you get near the fire. Right? And so that's my encouragement for you today. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but I do know this. He says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And I look forward to us being able to do that together. Let's pray and ask God to help us abide in him. Father, thanks for uh, letting us circle around your word a little bit today, to think a little bit about how life is just miserable without you. We desperately need you to help us and change us, and I pray that you would do that. But more so, Lord, I pray uh, that you would give us hearts that want to be with you, that are motivated to move toward you, to be near the fire. Would you reignite in us, Lord, a desire, a flame for you, to be near you, to love you, to be close to you again? And I pray that you would help everybody in this room figure out what that looks like in their life. They would begin to draw near to you, and as they do, they would begin to see like real change, real difference, not of their own making, but of yours. So help us, Father, to draw near to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand. Let's sing this last song together. Pray the deep, we love Jesus.